Cool. Uh, John chapter 2, uh, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So, he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Thanks, Nate. Something I forgot to give a heads up about. I'm using an NRSV translation, um, but it's, it's good to get multiples. But as I read, the wording will be from NRSV, just so you know. Um, this is a wild and cool and rich passage. Anyone else feeling it? <laughs> Loving it? Um, I think just kind of like getting the reflection going, I couldn't help but think of some of the recent um, protests in the States with Black Lives Matter and people kind of breaking into stores and pulling things out and saying, like, there's something wrong going on, pay attention, you know? That's the kind of imagery that I sort of think about. Um, And this passage has, like, very specific relevance to our Christian faith and what we think Jesus is doing and what Jesus has done. Uh, But we live in a world of institutions, and so I think thinking about the institutions that we live in is a good place to kind of start reflecting on on this. Um, Something kind of personally for me that came up as I was reflecting on this passage is, as you know, um, one of our good friends, Paolo, passed away a few weeks ago, um, and I've just felt incredibly angry. I felt so, so angry uh, about the insensitivity, the naivety, the exclusivity, um, and I just want to roll into church offices and flip tables and drive people out and yell at them, you know? Um, And there's probably other places that you're feeling or similar places. I don't know what's coming up for you as you sort of think about that. Um, But we get this really beautiful sense of Jesus having a passion for something new, for seeing something the way that it's always been done. Uh, that's the passion that we see in Jesus in this passage. Um, something better, something greater. Um, and he protests for something fresh. Um, so it's, I'm excited about getting into this. Um, verse 13 tells us, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Um, there's a lot of wonderful imagery that John is drawing into this. The Passover is this super significant festival that happened annually. You're probably familiar with it. 
Um, and what's the like movie where it follows? Oh, anyways, don't worry about it. That's I'm going off on a tangent. Um, but basically, uh, it celebrates God's um, deliverance for Israel from being enslaved in Egypt, uh, and also God's judgment on uh, the Egyptians and their gods. I thought it would be helpful to read of the first Passover in Exodus 12. Uh, I'm just kind of going to read a few scattered verses from that, as well as some information in between. So. Households in Israel took a one-year-old lamb without blemish, uh, and they're instructed, the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. That's a bit kind of confronting to us, I think. Um, And they're told to remember this as an annual festival in perpetuity forever. Seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. On the first day there's a solemn assembly. On the seventh day there's a solemn assembly. And for seven days they don't work. Uh, You shall observe the festival of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your companies out of the land of Egypt. Uh, I just want to acknowledge there's some, like, tough stuff in that. I think it's important as uncomfortable things about the Bible come up for us to kind of be aware of that and be present to that. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about sacrifice later, but I think these kind of uncomfortable things lead us into kind of good questions. So just want to acknowledge that might be something that's coming up for you. Um, In verse 14, we're told Jesus was in the temple. Uh, So not only is it Passover for this beautiful, wonderful festival that they're all travelling in to to celebrate, Um, and there's a lot of Jews who make the the pilgrimage into Jerusalem to the temple, Uh, and it's also the start of a whole bunch of other Jewish festivals. Um, So Jesus is not only kind of in this wonderful celebration, he's also right at the heart of it, at the temple of Jerusalem. Like Everyone's travelling in. It's the hub of Jewish celebration. This is the the painting that we're kind of getting painted in this passage. Um, N.T. Wright says, The temple is the beating heart of Judaism. It was the centre of worship and music, of politics and society, of national celebration and mourning. I love that description. Uh, The temple is also the place where God meets people. That's the tradition. Uh, It's the place where God is known to dwell on earth. It's the place of teaching, healing, worshipping, prayer. Uh, It's also the place where Jews come to renew their covenant with God and make sacrifices for sins. Uh, In some of the sacrificial traditions of Judaism, there are a whole bunch of sacrifices. Um, There are sin, sin offerings, guilt offerings... Uh, Also, uh, in Leviticus 16, we're told about uh, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the sins of Israel are put onto a scapegoat and sent outside the camp. And the scapegoat literally takes away the sins of the people into the wilderness. Uh, And so we get this picture through all of these sacrificial traditions of sin being taken seriously. But also, uh, there's always a means for dealing with sin. Uh, And Passover itself was the remembering of the covenant between Israel and Yahweh, that they will be God's people and God will deliver them. So in just one verse and one word, (laughs) we've got all of this, all of this that John is telling us, 
this is the setting. Uh, this is what I'm trying to tell you is happening here when Jesus comes here. Um, so, uh, and as people are pilgrimaging, they're coming to the temple from all sorts of different places. Um, there's the sale of sacrificial animals taking place there. Um, you know, I like to think of it as an essential service. So in the, in the COVID restrictions, they'd still be going because pe- people need them. Uh, they didn't want to have to bring their animals on a long distance. Uh, and they needed the animals to kind of fulfill all of these traditions and to celebrate and do all of these things. Um, so potentially an essential service of uh, first century Judaism. Uh, there's also the money changes because there's um, a temple tax that um, a lot of the Jewish men would pay uh, and they'd kind of have foreign currency and they need to exchange it into the local currency in order so that they can pay it. Um, so they're there um, providing that essential service as well. Um, so all of this hustle and bustle happening um, as Jesus enters the temple of Jerusalem during Passover. Uh, verse 14 continues. He found people selling cattle sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Just very briefly about the whip, Uh, It seems a little confronting to us. Um, I'm told that it was likely just an ordinary instrument for herding animals. If you're going to get animals out, you need a whip. It's not uh, something violent or uh, something like that. So why does Jesus do this? Um, I think there's a few reasons, and you probably have some that you're coming to this text knowing about as well. Uh, The temple was... a a bit of an establishment, a bit of an institution. Uh, The priests would have had links with the Roman government because they helped to build the temple. Um, The merchants and the money changers um, probably accumulated a lot of money. Um, They were probably exploiting the poor uh, and they were doing that so that they could kind of spend money on building the temple and beautifying it and administering the affairs of the temple. Um, Quite a few commentators focus on how the sale of the animals and the money exchange is happening inside the courts. That's the focus of what they kind of pointed you to. Um, Rather than somewhere, you know, they could have been somewhere outside. Why were they in there? Uh, And this is problematic because this was the place where God's presence was, where God is to be worshipped. And Jesus says it's been turned into a marketplace. So potentially it's a sign of disrespect and centering themselves, decentering God. This was also the only part of the temple, uh, the open outside courts, where non-Jewish people, Gentiles, could come and be quiet and worship God. Because there were inner courts for priests and Jewish men and Jewish women, and this was the one place non-Jewish people could come and worship God. The one place non-Jewish people could engage in prayer the one place that they could hear teaching, the one place they could make an offering, the one place they could meet Yahweh. All of these political, religious, cultural things that they could be part of, and who's there? For me, this is insensitive and misunderstanding at its best. It's religiously arrogant and exclusive at its worst. 
Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) Um, There's a beautiful prophecy in Isaiah 56, uh, verses 6 to 8. Uh, It's a vision of the holy mountain, this beautifully inclusive holy mountain, which involves all nations worshipping. I'm going to read a part of it. And the foreigners, all who keep the Sabbath, and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. (coughs) Do you notice the language of my house as well? Jesus uses the word, stop making my father's house, a marketplace because the purpose of the father's house is to have all who hold fast to the covenant they're worshipping a house of prayer for all peoples no disrespect no exclusivity and later we'll get a bit more information or insight into the father's house as well in John 14 Uh, Jesus says in my father's house there are many dwelling places If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So the Father's house, the house of God, the temple, the holy mountain, all of these imagery coming together. Jesus is telling us this is not just a physical place in Jerusalem, but a place he will go and bring us to. A place where all people will worship in God's presence. And it's a place where Jesus goes to prepare rooms many to dwell with him again it's not a place of exclusivity it's not a place of insensitivity arrogance exploitation of the poor or systems that control Uh, when jesus does this he's driven them all out um, and we get this insight as to kind of what's going on here Uh, His disciples then uh, figure it out. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, And there's this tradition of zeal for God's law and God's house um, that would be wonderful to spend a whole sermon on as well. Um, But I noticed that uh, some of the zeal was kind of associated with um, making sure other, other nations weren't involved. Uh, I thought that was like a little little interesting thing that often zeal was associated with kind of protecting um, from other foreigners. Um, So I kind of liked how maybe this is a little bit of a play on the word zeal of actually Jesus' zeal is a different kind of zeal. Um, As we move through, um, um, there's a lot of Jewish imagery and tradition. Jesus is challenging that beating heart of Judaism. It's religious and political and economic setup. Um, And Jesus is about to point to something even bigger than what we've kind of said. Uh, Jesus goes on to show that this whole thing is about to be flipped even more. Uh, And I think it's about both fulfilling these traditions and expanding them, and also potentially protesting these traditions uh, in and of themselves and abolishing them. Maybe those two things are going on. 
Jesus is the centre of worship and prayer and teaching and healing. Jesus is the cultural and political hub of our faith. Jesus is the beating heart. Jesus is the place where people from all of the world come to remember and celebrate. Jesus is the renewal of covenant with Yahweh. And Jesus is the place where God's judgment and deliverance are held together. Jesus' body is the place of offering of sacrifices and where sin are dealt with. Jesus transforms the sacrificial system in his body. Did you notice that Jesus drives out all the animals that could be sacrificed? Do you remember that Passover is about Jews sacrificing a lamb without blemish and celebrating deliverance and judgment? Do you remember the scapegoat? The sins of the community were dealt with by being placed on this animal and the scapegoat would take the sins away from the people out of the camp. And in John chapter 1, when John first sees Jesus, he shouts, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus fulfills all that is necessary for covenant and forgiveness and judgment of sin. However, it's not just those in the Jewish community who experience these traditions anymore. John uses the word cosmos, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the cosmos. I get incredibly challenged and beautified by that word, the cosmic reality that gets fulfilled in Jesus' body. And I think um, I've been very challenged as someone who's grown up with a Western view of Christianity by uh, my Aboriginal siblings in thinking about how far this beautiful sacrifice of Jesus goes to the, the rest of creation um, because they have such a beautiful care for other parts of creation that I've been so blind to. Come and see the new being fulfilled and expanded through the old, the old being overturned by the new. And in a moment we're going to take communion, remembering the body and the blood of the Lamb of God. Um, I have a few reflection questions, which might uh, kind of, uh, I guess, ground us in some of all of these big ideas. I'm going to ask them and then we can chat and you might kind of resonate with some questions over others. What part of Jesus' renewal speaks to your heart? Do you draw comfort or challenge or both by Jesus' upturning of an institution that's exclusive and controlling? do you think about when you think of Jesus' death and resurrection being for the whole cosmos? And in the New Testament, 
the church is described as the body of Christ. What do you think that means for the church, knowing these things? any certain reflections that are coming up for people we can just have silence reflecting on that you don't need to share one thing that you mentioned was um, oh yeah there's something uh, that was alluded to as well was that when we look at the money vendors and uh, the people selling uh, animals to be sacrificed um, the, this space that they can take of limiting space for those on the outer wanting to access God. Um, like you said, there's some things that are abhorrent that, that we may have experienced and um, which we see and we know happen as well that, that God's people can, can do at times. And I think um, there's also those microaggressions that uh, we can also kind of place in our um, they, they, they are just problematic. And so I guess that might be just something to throwing out there as well as just to think what, what, what are the ways in which we might also, without realising it, embody those money lender mentalities, those um, animals to sell, uh, to sacrifice, and that we might actually place that actually limit the space for others as well. So, yeah. And I think particularly at the beginning of New City too, what does it look like to make sure that we don't, we don't create those those same mm. problematic things? And, and particularly those microaggression things, not the big and the horrible things. Anyway, that made me think, 
that um, like for me in my experience, so much of that language around church is about sacrifice. And you know, I've grown up in uh, evangelical churches in the Salvation Army and the Pentecostal churches and stuff like that. And so much of the language is around sacrifice. And there's such a nobility to sacrifice in churches. And um, just thinking about, and there's no, I have to say this carefully, <laughs> um, there's no need for that anymore. There's no need for the nobility of my sacrifice to make myself acceptable to other people. Or to, I'm not saying we don't serve one another, I'm not saying that, but just that whole um, focus on wrecking myself for the sake of God's house or God's people or whatever rather than bringing my whole self and joining in a community of people who are gathering together with Christ at the centre because he is enough. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Well, you make me think about what we were talking about earlier about hospitality. And it's simply, for me, what I'm feeling is, I mean, the essential services exist in our world, hey? Like, things mm-hmm. have to happen in a certain way. But what we control is the ability to engage in love and hospitality to each other, which I quite like when you said, don't put it on a clipboard. We sort of need to let that happen organically. Things fall in place. And yeah, so for me, I've shared with a number of people that I've had some challenges just with my work. And it made me think in your message that what's missing is that hospitality and that love between one another. And um, so I totally get what you're saying about sacrifice because I'm older Christian, meaning I came to know Jesus in my 30s, my late, like mid-30s. So I don't have all of that history of being a child and some of the things that friends of mine have experienced. Um, I don't even know why I said that other than to say God has always been about love for me. Mm-hmm. And um, what I find beautiful in this community and sharing like this is that we can do that in a safe way and, and this is love. Like, and, and not feeling like we have to say something or have it, like I have to get it right. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to sacrifice myself and I don't have to worry about what like, each of you are going to think because mm-hmm. my feeling in this room is that you're just gonna give me love back. And I think that's quite beautiful. just unpacking that passage and making it all about Jesus, all about who he is and what he's done. It's not, and again, I don't want to be misunderstood, but it's it's not really about us. Mm -hmm. Um, So not to say that we we have no role in the kingdom, but just that this story is so much about the goodness 
of, of Jesus and what that means for the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I love that. I love the way that that was the focus. It wasn't about, it wasn't all about like the practical application. It wasn't all about, oh, what are we doing wrong? Are we, like, no, it's just, it's all about him. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's had this. When you get really annoyed and something happens and it might have been a misdemeanor of someone, might have wronged you or wronged someone in front of you, and you have, I call them shower rants, because so then you have, and you think about what you have in the shower well after the event, and I'm like, I wish I had said that. And uh, I keep thinking of like Jesus never needing to have a shower rant, because he's there right at the, like, right at the time. And so like with that, that story, I'm always thinking, like, can't wait to like see like a money lender come up and try and say something to him and just like rain down his righteous, <laughs> yeah, ang- angry red at them. That would be like just, yeah, I would love to. Uh, um, yeah, so I was just, mm. just thinking about it. That, that's what I'm going to Something that, that strikes me as well is just kind of looking at it from the outside in the, the bravery challenging a power base like that. Mm. The, you know, the, to have the wherewithal to really just put yourself um, you know, at, um, on the opposing side of authority in general and, and you know, people who have the, ultimately the, the power to end your life. But I think because of that, because of that bravery, it speaks to the importance of what he was trying to do, the fact that he felt that it was important to take that action, to flip that table and get everyone out of there in order to clear space for people to serve and to pe- for people to form bonds and form community. It's just to me it really underscores the importance of that to Jesus. Mm-hmm. 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 The aftermath, so aftermath would have been really and we don't get a glimpse of that mm. passage, but like once he like gets rid of all the animals and turns over the table, you know, the Passover is still gonna happen, right? Like what would it look like when people rock up at the temple the next day and be like, hey what's going on here? Like are people like going out and finding more animals and bring them back in? Mm. Or people going, hey Jesus did this thing or like Yeah, that would be Mm. And I think kind of like that that end bit maybe is a bit insightful and like maybe there's a bit of both. Like yeah. some people are there saying, whoa, there was something in that and other people are like, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, like I like the way you're talking about them as essential workers and stuff as well. I feel like um, you're right about giving the big effect and I feel like I'm zero on you now because you treated a whole bunch of stuff with me. <laughs> but like I just think of all of these conversations I've had for years or decades with pastors and key church leaders that are so weighed down because they're carrying the weight of the church and they're doing all the things and why won't other people pick up the slack and why won't and you know when you say you don't have to you don't actually have to carry all that it's like no but I do because otherwise the things won't happen and so looking at this in a, in a different way than how I thought about it and going, yeah, what did happen next? Because they're still going to have Passover and he has just, and that just so often that sense, 
that I've brought to church as a pastor, that I've brought, you know, um, that I've seen other people bring of, we carry this thing, I have to do all the stuff, and it's moved from this incredible vision of community and gathering around Jesus and coming together in worship to this series of tasks and things that have to get done mm. to make it happen and living that centre. Um, and so I'm enjoying the challenge about that. And even in the context of thinking about this community as well, mm. and the DNA and some of those landmarks, I guess, just thinking about that. What does it look like to ensure that Jesus is at the centre, mm. that community is key, but that remains the focus mm. for us as well? Those two comments in particular are a good transition to communion. It, Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks everyone. Yeah. Mm. Um, Steph, you just brought out so much.